We're in the midst of this study of looking at the book of Daniel and just an incredible book. Not only is it an incredible book of, of prophecy, but just of the life of Daniel and how he lived um, his faith out before the Lord in a very hostile environment that was definitely anti-God. And that's why I want to take some time uh, digging through the, the book of Daniel and seeing how Daniel lived out his faith in his culture some 600 years uh, before Christ walked on the face of, of the earth. And and um, what we've discovered about, about Daniel is that God showed favor upon Daniel and, and God lifted him up into areas of positions of prominence within not only the Babylonian culture, but also the, the, the Medo-Persian culture. And God used him in a mighty way. But what I want to look at is, I think in our day and age today, um, what God is calling us to do is to, is to authentically live out our faith in our world today. And what, what does... What does a true follower of Jesus look like? And I believe what we can find through the example of Daniel is we can see what a true follower of God looks like, even in the, the extreme face of, 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 of turmoil and trials and circumstances that have come against him and persecution that came against Daniel. Through those times, we can get a glimpse of what his faith in God truly looked like. And I think for us, living in the day and age we're living in today, and we see so many things that are changing around us and a lot of values that we hold to that, that, uh, that, we, that we see are coming against us, um, I believe it's time for us as believers to really understand what does it mean to walk by faith? What does it mean to have a true, authentic faith in Jesus Christ? And, and how does that look? And so basically... If I could just title the message, I would say we need to stop playing church. We just need to stop playing, playing church and really begin to live out this faith that Jesus had called us to. And if you read through the Gospels, the Gospels give us a glimpse of what it truly means to live by faith and to, and to deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow Jesus. And we see these earlier believers lay down everything to follow Jesus. They had this authentic faith that was tested constantly. And I believe that when our faith is truly tested, that's when you're going to see what we really uh, believe. And so I want, to look, I want to look at Daniel chapter 6 again. We're very familiar with Daniel chapter 6 because this is where Daniel gets placed in, in the lion's den. And we see this miraculous miracle of God saving Daniel from, from being killed by the lions. But, but what I want to look at the story again, and we looked at it last week, what I want to look at today is, is how did this story show the authenticity of Daniel's faith? And I believe this story truly showed what Daniel trusted and how for you and I today, how God giving us a faith that we can actually live it out and not only live it out in our society, but live it out with, with boldness that other people can take notice of the God that we truly serve and the God that we truly trust. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 6. You can look at the screens. Um, I'm going to be just looking at the first five verses this morning. And, um, and we're going to see Daniel here. Obviously, he's going, to be, uh, he's going to be accused of praying. God forbid, right? He's going to be accused of praying to his God. And, and, and we see through this that, that these, these men that were, were serving with Daniel in this high position, were jealous of Daniel because uh, God showed favor upon him. And so they basically trapped Daniel to say that, listen, if, uh, if you pray to any other person except King Darius, that you'll be thrown in the lion's den. And, and we know that Daniel was a praying man. And so 
Daniel had this quandary in his life. Is he going to stop praying? Is he going to deny God, which we see that he doesn't? But I want to look at these first five verses because this shows the heart of Daniel. So starting in verse 1, it says, It pleased King Darius. So what we are, we're in this new empire. The, the Medo-Persian Empire has taken over the Babylonian Empire. Daniel at this point is probably in his 80s or 90s. And he is serving God with his whole heart. Amen? For all you 80 and 90-year-old people out there, give me a big amen. amen. Thank you, Ruth. I knew that. See, that's why I did it. That's why I did it. I... So let's look. It says here, verse 1, it says, it pleased Darius to appoint the 120 satraps to, to, uh, throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one who was Daniel. So here we see Daniel in this high prominent position. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps uh, by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So here we have Daniel in this Highest of positions within the kingdom of Persia. And it says at this time, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could not find anything against Daniel. They could not find, they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. There was no WikiLeaks about Daniel. No, I just put that in there myself, uh, just for what we're living to say. Verse 5, finally these, finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for any charges against the man Daniel unless he has done something to do with the law of his king. So there was, there was, he was trustworthy, it says. It says he was not corrupt or negligent. And finally, just gave up. They said, the only thing we're going to do is if we find... Uh, something that comes against his God. And so what they end up doing is they, they pass this law that says for the next 30 days, you can't pray to anyone except for King Darius. Anyone that's found doing that is going to be thrown in the lion's den. And so what we see with uh, Daniel is that he, um, he, he does what he always does. And when he hears the verdict, he goes and prays. These men catch it praying, and they actually bring him before King Darius, which he loved Daniel, and he saw the qualities of Daniel. So this, this, this burdened the king so much because of what he would have to do. And then we see Daniel being saved uh, by the lion's den, but I, 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 through the lion's den. But I want you to see the authenticity of, of, of Daniel's faith through this whole extreme testing, because basically Daniel's life was sealed. He was going to die. There was no way around it. He was going to die. They, they, they sealed the entrance uh, into the lion's den. The, the king sealed it with his signet ring. This basically was his fate. You're going to die. And so Daniel faced the lion's den with his faith in the Lord, never backing down. Incredible story of faith. Um, let me ask you a question before we jump into this. How many of you ever bought something that was a knockoff? You ever bought a knockoff? Good. Some of you are like, should I raise my hand or not? Um, knockoff, like knockoff sunglasses or maybe a knockoff coach purse or a knockoff, a knockoff Rolex watch. Now, what's interesting about not, if, you, if you've ever been to New York City, you got all these people, you know, in the streets and they're trying to, hey, I got this Rolex watch, you know, for, for $10. Now, you know, like, come out. You, you know the thing's going to last like a day and it's going to break, right? But, but it, at first, it looks like the real thing or a purse or whatever it looks like the real thing from a distance it's very hard to tell the real from the fake and the way you check for a knockoff is actually taking the real thing and putting it next to it 
and, and, and obviously taking it through some tests. That's what I love about um, some of the shows on TV where people bring things into pawn shops and they'll say like, hey, I've got this autographed baseball card from, uh, you know, maybe from Babe Ruth. And um, uh, I believe this thing is worth a million dollars. Can I have a million dollars for this autographed rare one-of-a-kind baseball card by Babe Ruth. Now, these guys in these pawn shops know enough to realize, you know, they're not going to say, oh, okay, here you go. Here's a million dollars, okay? They're, you know, they, they know they're going to have this thing tested. So what they do is they have these people that they go to that can authenticate whether or not that's a true thing. Now, I, 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 these shows drive me crazy because when they come in, they get you all hyped up like, guy brought in a Babe Ruth card. It could be worth all this money. And then, you know, you always know it never is the real thing. So it's like, why do I get sucked into this? Because I know every time it's not going to be the real thing and the guy's not going to get a million dollars. So, so what they do is they bring in their guy and maybe this guy's an autograph expert. And what he will do is he will take an authentic Babe Ruth signature. And what does he do? He places it against the, the, the one that was brought in. And 99.99% of the time, it usually is a fake because they've placed it against the real thing. And so he, here's what I want you to see. Here's what we see in Daniel's life. Is that when his faith was truly tested, that's when we could see the authenticity of his belief in his God. We could see that when his faith was tested. So to know something is real or fake it must be put through what? It must be put through a test. We have to put these things through a test. It has to be tested. And so what God will do is he will put us through tests. He will allow us to go through trials so that our faith will come forth as gold. If, if you're a follower of Jesus and you don't think that you're going to be put through a test, you're not reading the Bible correctly. God does this because he wants us to come forth as gold, not to hurt us, but to strengthen us, to allow our roots to grow deep. So Daniel would be put to the test for his faith. Daniel was trapped. The law was passed. No one could pray ex- except to the king. And these men who pushed this law forward, they knew that Daniel prayed and Daniel did not make a stink about it. He, he heard this law and he quietly went in his room, the Bible says, the scriptures tell us, and he prayed as he always did and he gave thanks to God. And so these men come in, they catch him, they say, aha, we caught you. And then they bring him to the, kid, the king and the king had no other choice but to put him in the lion's den. Here's, here's when we know our faith becomes real. Faith becomes real when it is tested and it shows what you really believe. There it is. Faith becomes real when it is tested and it shows what you truly believe. And so here we see Daniel's faith didn't come from him being an Israelite or that he went some through religious ceremony or that he went through some religious classes. His faith was real and authenticated because it was tested and he trusted God, not his lineage notice that he didn't say well i'm an israelite that's why i believe in god because i'm an israelite no he believed in god because he believed in god and i think this is the disconnect that we can have that we think that we're christians 
Because we do certain Christian things. But that doesn't necessarily mean we have a true authentic faith in Christ. Ouch, pastor, that hurt, right? It should hurt. Because we need to see, is my faith real? And it's, it's not going to be seen real until it is tested. And so many would say, many would say that I have a faith in God, yet they live like the devil. Now, those are easy to spot, right? Some would say that they have a faith, but the moment life gets hard, they bail out. Well, things didn't go my way, and then I just, I just gave up on God. Some would say that they have a faith because they go to church once in a while or they show up at Christmas and Easter, and we call those Christers. Those are the Christmas and Easter people, right? Um, Everybody's writing that one down. Pastor, that's a good one. Christers, writing that one down. Um, See, if if we're going to thrive in our our world, we, we have to have an authentic faith that's real. And here's the thing. God loves us so much that he wants your faith to be real. And the only way that we're going to make it in this world is to have a real faith in a real God who loves us. He wants your faith to be real. I can remember when I became a Christian, a follower of Jesus at 16 years old, and I went to West High School. I always say West because people say, did you go to Eastridge? No, I went to West Just All you Eastridge people, I'm just teasing. We were better, by the way. But anyways, okay. Um, And I remember walking, it was April 1982. April 1982 is when I became a follower of Christ. I remember walking to school the next day. It was a Thursday morning. And I remember walking in saying, I made this commitment to Christ the night before at youth group. And I remember walking in the next day in high school going, whoa, this is real. How am I going to live my faith out Before the Lord. And I can remember my twin sister got saved a couple months before me, and she used to carry her Bible in school. God forbid. She used to carry. And and when my sister carried, she'd have the Holy Bible right on the outside, like this one you wouldn't know. And she'd carry it on the outside of her books. She would read her Bible in homeroom. And I would I was in the desk behind her before I was saved. I would just shrink in my seat. Barb, don't read your Bible. Barb, don't please don't read your Bible. And she would read her Bible and she wouldn't. She wasn't, she just, it was her faith. And she just read it. People would ask her questions. She just lived it out. She wasn't, she wasn't, you know, preachy or self-righteous in any ways. And so I can remember that was an example to me. And I can remember, I said, God would tell me, Barden, you've, you've got to live your faith out in your school to make it real. So I remember I go, okay, I'm going to carry my Bible. And I had my Bible that said Holy Bible. And so I go, I'm going to bring my Bible to school. And the first day I brought it to school, I put it inside my books. So no one could do it. And then I remember... The next day, I got a little more courage, and I put it on the outside of my books. Then one day, I was at the cafeteria, and I actually put the Bible outside on the cafeteria table, and my friends would come around, and they was like, is that a Bible? Did you bring a Bible, really? And then we'd have all these like discussions, and they'd ask me all these questions that I didn't know, but it was fun. We'd have all these. But I remember, it was like, God was telling me, Barden, listen, I wasn't perfect by any means of the imagination, but I can remember God saying, Barden, this is, this is, this is, it was great that you did what you did in youth group with 100 other Christian teens around you. But it becomes authenticated when you have to live it out in the world. That's when it becomes real. And that was, that's such a vivid memory for me of my youth pastor encouraging, encouraging me, watching my twin sister live out her faith before the Lord in, in, in an environment that wasn't so um, conducive to your Christian faith. 
And so here's Daniel. Here's what we know about Daniel. Daniel was living his faith out in a, in a hostile environment that could easily turn quickly on him, and it did. So let me give you a couple things. I want to first give you this. I want to give you what faith is not. Let me give you what faith is not so we understand this. True faith is not well-meaning. True faith is not well-meaning. What do I mean by that? Well, let me give an example. When the, if we're getting close to the New Year's, right? And when the New Year's rolls around, uh, many people make these New Year's resolutions, right? And, and we all have the best intentions in the world. And so many people, what they'll do is, during the New Year's, they'll, they'll join a gym. And gyms love January because they see a spike in their membership. Now, we mean well. We pay a lot of money to mean well. Um, we even may buy some workout clothes, right? To mean well, to do this New Year's resolution that, that we want to lose weight and get into shape. We all have this good intentions of going to the gym. But what usually happens? And the gym people that own these gyms know this. Most people never show up. Now, we had all the intentions of the world, but then never follow through. We may have this great idea to do this big project, and we buy all the stuff, and then two years later, that project still hasn't gotten done. Some of your ladies are going, Pastor, I can relate to this, right? I want my husband to do this forever. Um, see, here's the thing. This can easily happen in our faith if we are not careful. This can easily happen in our faith if we are not careful. Many, many will say, oh, I, I need to follow Jesus. I, I need to get my family to church. I, I need to pray with my wife. I need to get this right and never get around to doing it. Well-meaning, but falling short of following through. There's an inter- interesting little parable in Matthew 21, where, where Jesus looks at this parable of these two sons. And let me read it for you. It's just a couple of verses here. And Jesus says, what do you think? There's a man who had two sons. And he went to the first son. He said, go and work today in the vineyard. And the son said, I will not, he answered. But later changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He said, I will, sir. But he did not go. And then Jesus asked this question, which of the two did his father wanted? And they said, well, the first. Which of the two did what the father wanted? And, the, and, and they said the first one, obviously. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collector, the prostitute, prostitutes are in the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you and showed you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe in him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. Even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe in him. Speaking to the Pharisees and the religious at the time. And so what, what is Jesus emphasizing? He's saying this. It is good and well-meaning intentions. Everybody may have good and well-meaning intentions, but it doesn't equate to genuine faith. And what Jesus is pointing out to the religious at the time is this. Look, you may believe in God, but you don't follow through. When John came, you refused to repent when he came as God's messenger. I like what my ESV study notes say here. It says, the fruit of one's life ultimately proves whether or not one is obedient to God's message. The fruit of one's life is ultimately 
proves whether or not one is obedient to God's message. See, good intentions are a good starting place, but if it remains there, it will be fruitless. Let me give you the second thing, what, what, what faith is now. The second thing is true faith is not cultural Christianity. Okay, what do I mean by cultural Christianity? Because this is important for us to understand, because we live in a society in America that is, 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 can become very cultural Christianity, where we do a lot of Christian stuff, but it's, it's not true, authentic faith. So what do I mean by this? Well, if I bear no fruit in my life, if there's an absence of, of biblical morality in my life, something's wrong. But on the other hand, if just being moral and in the presence of biblical morality in my life, if there's some presence of this, and I'm a moral person, I'm a good person, this doesn't automatically mean that I have true, genuine, authentic faith in Christ. So what is cultural Christianity? Well, I believe it's this. It's plain church. It, 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 it fits me. It's, it's comfortable. My parents went to church. Um, I go to church because it's the right thing to do. I remember asking my mom when I was a little kid, the church we, we, we grew up with didn't really preach the gospel. We went there. There were nice people there. And I remember asking my, my mom, why did we go to church? She goes, because it's the right thing to do. Okay. That was the answer. And I, you know, it was just because that's what you do. It was cultural Christianity. It's plain church. It's saying things like, oh, everything was a lot better back then. Remember when everything was so much better? Isn't it funny how everything was always better back then? And then we really start thinking about it. We're like, it really wasn't that great. In fact, Ecclesiastes 7.10 says this. Don't say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. (laughs) Hello, that's in the Bible, right? See, we can succumb to nostalgia. It was better then. Remember the 50s, how great the 50s were? Well, let me remind you. Remember the 50s brought the 60s? Some of you don't even remember the 60s, those of you lived through it, right? It's, it's when you begin to really think it wasn't as great as you thought it was. And this is what I'm going to call it. Are you ready? Please just listen to me. Don't, don't send me hate mail. But this is what I'm going to call it. This cultural Christianity, I'm going to call, I call it Andy Griffith Christianity. Now, let me explain what I mean by that, okay? Before, oh, some of you do, ooh, you're getting, Pastor, those are fighting words right there. Don't mess with the Andy Griffith show. But let me, let, let me let, before you throw anything at me, let me explain what I mean. I absolutely love the Andy Griffith show. I love little Opie. I like Aunt B and her apple pies and her bad pickles that she makes. Um, I like Barney and his one bullet and his gun and he shoots his foot out all the time. Great show. Everybody went to church on Sunday, except for Otis, who was sleeping one off. Um, Mayberry was a good place. The only crime that usually was committed was two elderly sisters making moonshine, right? Out of their bathtub in their barn, right? That's about it. See, everybody was moral. However, a moral, ethical lifestyle doesn't always equate to a genuine faith in Christ Jesus. So, see, outside of the church, you very rarely, if ever, heard God mentioned. People were good, but that doesn't always mean a genuine saving faith. There's a lot of good, moral people who probably do a lot nicer and better things than I will ever do. And here's what wonderful author Randy Elkhorn says here. He makes a good point. He says, godly living centers not on what we avoid, but on whom we embrace. 
Anytime we talk more about the do's and don'ts than about Jesus, something is wrong. The Christian life is far more than sin management, behavioral modification that's not empowered by God's heart-changing grace is self-righteousness and as repugnant to God as the worst sins people gossip about. See, it's more than just being good. It's more than just playing church. It's more than just saying, I go to church because it just fits me. Here's what made Daniel different. When his faith was truly tested, that's what showed the genuineness of what he believed. So let's look at what, what is... See, and I just don't think we ever reached that destination in Mayberry. And I want to make sure, listen to me, I love you as your pastor. And I, I want to make sure that there's not a disconnect in our heart that we just say, just because I go to church, that makes me a Christian. I, I want to make sure that you understand what this true saving faith is in Christ. And that when you go through testing, it's going to reveal what you really believe and what you really trust. And here's the reason why I say that. I believe we are going to be tested as believers in America. And I believe it's only going to get more difficult as the years go on. And we have to know what we believe. We have to know who we trust. We have to know who is the only one who can save me. So what is, what is genuine faith? Well, let's look at genuine faith. Here's, here's genuine faith. And I believe this is a good de- definition of genuine faith. faith. Genuine faith is anchored is anchored in what? The saving knowledge that Christ died for our sins. See, what made Daniel not just survive in Babylon, but thrive? See, his relationship with God was real. His faith was real. He was battle-tested. This is coming towards the end of his life, and we see how developed and how secure his relationship with, with God was. And if we're going to make a difference and influence our culture, it's not going to come by protesting our culture. It will come by a life that has been changed by Jesus Christ. So let me, let me, wrap, this, let me wrap this message up for you today. Here, here, is, here is saving faith. This is what saving faith is. And my prayer for you today is that you would understand this. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Paul says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can do what? No one can boast. And so what I see in the story of, of Daniel is this. In the story of Daniel in the lion's den, is that Jesus is the fulfillment of this story for us. That, that Jesus is, is the true and greater Daniel, here's what I see. When I look at the lion's den, I see this. I see Jesus going into the lion's den with Daniel. There was another person in the lion's den. And I believe that was a Christophanes. I believe that was a pre-incarnate Christ who was there to save him. See, sometimes we, we, we look at Daniel and think, oh, well, Daniel was perfect. He wasn't perfect. He was just like you and I. But he knew where to place his faith. He knew to place his faith in in a God that could only save him. See, faith is a gift that God gives us. Salvation is a gift that God gives us that we don't earn or deserve because of our works. Everybody say, amen. Because we would all be disqualified if that was the case. 
True saving faith in Christ Jesus is a gift that God gives us. His salvation is a gift for those who trust him. And so Jesus went into the lion's den for us. Daniel knew there was no way out. The den was sealed. And for Jesus, there's no way around the cross. Jesus faced the wrath of God head on because of our sin. And so what Jesus does is he goes into the mouth and the rage and the wrath of the lion's den for you and I. To face it head on for you and I that we couldn't do ourselves. In Daniel's own strength and even in his own goodness, he would have been shredded to pieces. But Daniel, the Bible says, trusted God. That was the difference. He trusted God by faith and walked right into it. See, Jesus is this fulfillment of the true and better Daniel. Jesus was perfect. Jesus faces this death for us. Daniel was completely helpless at this point. Completely helpless. It was him and all these hungry lions. And if you don't think they're hungry, uh, think again. Because the very people that trapped Daniel, the king threw them in, and they didn't even hit the bottom of the of the lion's den before they were shredded to pieces. They were hungry. It was God who saved him. Daniel couldn't save himself. And so Jesus saves Daniel that we see in verse 22. And we are completely helpless to save ourselves. I love the end of Daniel because here Darius, after this Miracle happens after God saves Daniel through the mouth of the lions. Darius says this in verse 27, the end of the chapter there, he says, he rescues, speaking of God, he rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lion's den. Daniel needed this saving faith. So let me finish with this. As the worship team comes up, we're going to close in song. Let me ask you two questions this morning. Very, very important questions this morning. Here are the two questions I want to ask you. Is your faith in God built on circumstances or in a God who never changes? Because your circumstances will show where your faith is. The trials of your life will show where your faith is. And so that they waver And if you lose faith all the time, there's a disconnect in your faith with God. So is your faith built in this God or built on circumstances? Or is it built in this God who never changes? The second question I want to ask you, is your faith in God built on your goodness and how well you perform? Or is your faith completely dependent on what Christ has already accomplished for you? That's what true saving faith is. It doesn't depend on anything of my goodness. It completely depends on the goodness of Jesus for what he's already done for me. Daniel was saved because he put his trust in the only one who could save him. I love what verse 23 says in chapter 6. And it says this. I love this. 
It says, when the king saw that Daniel was saved, the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him. For what reason? Because he had trusted God. God is able to save no matter what your background is or no matter how messy it is. My God is able to save. What are you trusting today? That's my only question. What are you trusting today? Have you trusted Christ? Are you putting your faith in him? And some of you, you're having your faith tested. And what, what might be the result of that is, and, and maybe the weakness that you feel or, or maybe the doubt that you may, may feel. It's okay to doubt. We all doubt. But maybe you feel like a, a ship tossed to and fro in the waves of, of your circumstances. Maybe it's because there's not that saving faith that you truly trusted Christ. He is the anchor through every storm we go through. And each storm we go through, our roots and our faith grow deeper and deeper. Daniel is an example of this because he trusted God. Not because Daniel was some superhuman God follower. He had a relationship with God because he knew who to trust. And so every single one of us in this place, that's what changes us. That's what saves us is our trust in Jesus and what he's already done for us. So my prayer for you today is that you would put that saving faith, that your saving faith would come through your trust in what Jesus already did for you. How many know that we're going to make a mistake this afternoon? Right? Or tomorrow. Some, everybody knows it. Some of you even know it. Some brouhaha is going to break out on Thanksgiving Day because you know you've got to be with your family. I'm preparing myself pastor the brouhaha right black friday right someone's going to get taken down in an aisle at a store right something's going to we know it and we're we're going to do something that's very unbecoming of followers of jesus we know that thank god for his saving grace thank god for his forgiveness in our life amen it's not depend if it's dependent on your goodness you're going to fail miserably so let's put our trust in the only one who can save and that's jesus christ so lord we come before you today and God, I pray for everyone in this place today. God, I pray that this, this message kind of provoked us a little bit to see where we're truly putting our trust. And I pray, God, that you would provoke us to, to trust Jesus and him alone with our salvation. Not based on our works, but on a gift that you give each and every person who trusts you. So, Lord, I pray that you would do that in every heart here today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy that you bestow upon us when we so least deserve it, God. Thank you for your patience. We love you and we praise you. As we sing this song, let us realize that it's God and God alone. God and God alone. So make that our prayer today as we worship you. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this song in closing. God bless you.